We're so glad you joined us today. Can you keep that applause going as we welcome our Plant City campus? What's up, Pastor Michael and our South Shore campus and Pastor Hector? We're so glad to have you guys. We're glad you came and for everyone that's watching online. We're so glad you came to the Crossing Church this weekend. And so it's once again, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to teach on this platform. And I, I always thank our lead pastors, Pastor Greg and Pastor Tamer, for leading this house and for this opportunity. Can you show them your appreciation and how much you love them? We love you guys. And Pastor Greg will be back next week speaking. So I have the honor of closing out our series, Larger Than Likes. So Pastor Greg has been talking about how love is larger than likes and how God is greater than your name, your nature, your upbringing. It's been a powerful series. And so today... I want to talk about truth. Truth is larger than likes. So if you have kids, I have three kids, you know that sometimes there could be many versions of the truth. Right? Something breaks and you ask one, they say, oh, well, they did it. And then you ask the other one, they say, oh, the other one did it. But we know in reality there's only one truth. There cannot be multiple versions of the truth. There's not different interpretations of it. Truth, it rises above argument, culture, and opinion. No matter how you feel about it, how much it may offend you, how much you dislike it, the truth is unchanging. The truth is larger than likes. It's been said that we live in a postmodern culture. And what that means is that we live in a culture and a world where people say something could be true for you, but not for me. In 2016, the Oxford English Dictionary actually had post-truth as the word of the year, that we live in a post-truth world. And that truth is now subject to interpretation. It's so interesting that the prophet Isaiah in chapter 59 verse 14 had his finger on the pulse of the 21st century. Isaiah said, justice has turned back and righteousness stands far off. For the truth has stumbled in the public square and honesty cannot enter. There are some hidden lies woven in the movies we see, in the shows we watch, and even the music we listen to that is trying to paint our view of the truth and how that truth can be subjective. Culture says two things. Number one, truth is what you believe it to be. Truth is what can make you feel good, follow your feelings, follow your heart, and that'll lead you to truth. This is what the culture says. Truth is what you believe it to be, and if truth says someone is wrong, they must be hating that person. That if truth disagrees with you, it must be the same as hate. This is what culture says. And this is what we're going to address today. Truth is larger than likes. Would you pray with me? Father, we, thank, we are thankful that your spirit is here. And we pray that the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth that the Bible calls you, be in this place, at all of our campuses, and everyone watching online. And that we have the boldness to speak truth, even in the face of disagreement. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Two years ago at the Golden Globe Awards, Oprah Winfrey said this, speaking your truth is the most powerful tool that you have. Speaking your truth. And you'll hear this from celebrities. You'll see it on social media. Speak your truth. This is my truth, but it's not true for you. It might be true for me. And so I want to encourage all of us at the Crossing Church and all of our campuses that there is no such thing as your truth or my truth there is only the truth, and that is it. There is no such thing as your truth and my truth, only the truth. And so to understand the nature of truth, we need to learn how to distinguish opinion and preference from an objective fact. 
Sometimes we have beliefs that are preferences and opinions, and sometimes it's an objective fact. So I'm going to give you a pop quiz. Everybody ready for a pop quiz? Nobody. Some of you look terrified. You just had bad memories from school, right? So we're going to do a pop quiz, and I'm going to put some statements on the screen. And I need some participation. I want you to say if this is a subjective statement, so you just say subjective, and that means it's a preference or opinion, or you say objective, meaning this is an objective truth claim, and it's either true or false. It's not preferential, different for you, different for me. So here we go. We're going to start easy. I'll give you a light one to start. Chocolate is the best ice cream flavor. Subjective. Good job. I heard you playing City South Shore. Now, I know all those vanilla fans are like, no way. Vanilla's better. Anyway, this is a preference. This is an opinion. All right? Let's go to the next one. There are 24 hours in a day. Objective. No matter how you feel about it, no matter how fast, fast time seems to go by, 24 hours in a day for everyone. All right, what's the next statement? Five guys makes a better burger than Culver's. Some of you getting mad now. Like, I love Culver's. It's an opinion, right? You can't prove that you like it better than someone else. It's in a subjective preference, an opinion. All right, what's the next one? Water is made from two hydrogen and one oxygen atom. Objective. This is true. Whether you know it or not, whether you don't like it or not, it is true. Now, before we go to the next one, I'm going to warn you. It's going to be a little tricky. The next one, it is either true for everyone or false for everyone. That makes it not a preference, not an opinion. So here's the next one. The earth is flat. Which one is it? It's confusing, right? This cannot be different for you than it is for me, right? The world can't be flat for you and round for me. I'm sorry, flat earthers. It ain't happening. So this is an objective claim. If someone says the earth is flat, they are appealing to truth. And they're saying this is the truth for everyone. Not that it's different for you or different for me. So this is an objective claim, and then we test it to see whether it is true or false. That's the difference. And now here's the last one. God exists. Objective. It is either true or false. It is true for everyone and applies to everyone, or it is false. There's no in-between. It can't be that God exists for you and doesn't for me. That's the difference. And our culture is trying to place everything into the subjective category as opinion. Why? Because if God exists for everyone, then they have to deal with their lifestyle. Then they have to deal with, well, if God exists, then what is true? And if Jesus is real and actually rose from the dead, what does that mean for my life? And we don't want to offend other people. Because if there's actually only one truth, that means that someone's beliefs might not be right. But our culture is so hesitant to offend. They will say, okay, you can believe that, and I'll believe this, and we just go our ways. But the truth doesn't care about opinion. The truth stands alone. Amen. And so to illustrate this even further, I'm going to appeal to the great philosopher and theologian, Jim Carrey. He was in a movie called Liar, Liar. Does anybody remember that movie? So in Liar, Liar... Jim Carrey is a notorious liar, and his son makes a wish that for 24 hours, his dad cannot tell a lie, no matter how hard he tries. And so the wish has been made, and now Jim Carrey is under this influence. He cannot lie, but he tries to, and here's what happens. Check it out. Red. Red. All right? Now focus. 
The color of this pen is... <laughs> the color of this pen is... hilarious right why is that joke funny because we can all see with our eyes the color of the pen the pen is blue and whether you don't like it whether you feel it was different you wish it was different it doesn't change it is objectively blue that's why no matter how hard he tries he can't say anything different that's why the truth is unchanging so why has this idea of your truth and my truth infiltrated our culture it's because no one wants to feel guilty about their actions and no one wants to tell someone what they're doing is wrong can we all just get along that's the message of culture so now i'm going to address something i, I want to just preempt it do not get offended if you have this bumper sticker just hang on a minute okay don't don't get mad at me yet you have probably seen this bumper sticker somewhere it coexists now if by having this bumper sticker you are trying to say People of these different beliefs should be civil to one another, be able to have a conversation together. Sure, that's cool. I actually had the privilege of having lunch with a Jewish rabbi here in Tampa. He teaches at a large synagogue, and, and we sat together for two hours, and it was a great conversation. And let me tell you, we differ vastly on many things. Most of all, he's a vegan, and I'm not. <laughs> but we, we differ vastly on our beliefs. We don't agree on many, many things. But we were able to sit together and have lunch together and enjoy the time together. And so if by that you mean coexisting, that's fine. But let me tell you, these religions hold vastly different theological views. And these religions cannot all be true at the same time. Take the big monotheistic religions, for example. You have Islam, Judaism, and Christianity on the end. For Islam, Jesus Christ was just a man, maybe a prophet, nothing more. For the Jew, Jesus was a blasphemer proclaiming to be God. He never rose from the dead. But in Christianity, we believe we have good evidence and historical reasons to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, proving his divinity, and he is truly the Son of God. Those beliefs are not compatible. These religions cannot all be true at the same time. There is only one truth. One cannot be true for you, and a different one be true for me. Amen. But I also understand that truth has not always had the best messengers. Sometimes those speaking truth are as mean as snakes. Sometimes there are those in your family speaking truth as mean as snakes. Don't look at them right now. They might be sitting next to you. But sometimes the truth even comes from murderers and adulterers, like King David from the Bible. I like this tweet from Neil Shenvey. He's a fellow Christian apologist. He says, imagine a person so in love with truth that they embraced it no matter who said it, no matter the tone in which it was said, and no matter how much it challenged their assumptions. Strive to be that person. Strive to be that person. Popular culture says that if you claim another person is wrong 
or holds a belief that's not true, then you must hate that other person. If you're saying that what they believe is not right, that you somehow are a hater. There's no better illustration than this than a song released by Taylor Swift last year. The song's name was You Need to Calm Down. And in the music video, this is a screenshot from the music video. And these people in the middle of the crowd right here are undeniably Christians being portrayed in the music video. And these Christians are holding to a biblical value that culture doesn't agree with. And so this is how they are painting Christians. They are saying, this is how you are when you say that we're wrong or that something is a sin. They're saying that we are haters because we don't agree. I'm telling you that when you hold to truth and proclaim what the Bible says, there will be people who say you're a hater. But it's not the case. But it's difficult because we know that the Bible, this book that we believe, it says we need to love people. We need to pray for our enemies. We need to spread the gospel. But it also has many things that God says is not right. It has many things that it says this is a sin and you should not do it. And as Christians, we have to walk that fine line, speaking the truth in love, but not tainting or watering down the truth just so someone doesn't get offended. We have to speak the truth. And it's a shame in today's culture, even as Christians, we're afraid to stand for truth because the we know the moment we stand for biblical morals, the crowd will turn on us. And it's unfortunate that many, many are choosing to temper and dilute the truth. You'll even see Christian artists and musicians dodging the hard questions in TV and on the radio. And in interviews, they do not stand and they do not defend biblical morals because they don't want to be seen as a hater and because they are afraid of losing the audience. And so they water down the truth. I'm telling you, truth is larger than likes. We cannot fall into the trap of being subject to the crowd. Social media and influencer culture has even exacerbated this. There's a Canadian Instagram influencer. Her name is T. Go, and she said this in an interview. Your audience is also your boss. At the end of the day, you answer to them. Please let that not be true of us Christians. Now, I want to tell you, I know there are many in this church that have large social media followings and have built that, that audience, and that's great. That is not a bad thing in and of itself. And I'm not telling you to pick a fight every day on social media. Please do not do that. But when someone challenges morality, challenges your belief in God, challenges your relationship with Jesus Christ, also don't back down. Also, don't water the truth. If you have that kind of audience, that means you have an opportunity to defend truth on the loudest scale. I was watching another movie called The Hunger Games. You may remember that movie from 2012. And the Hunger Games is supposed to depict this post-apocalyptic, dystopian future about these terrible games that every year teenagers come and fight. And in the movie, the mentor, his name is Hamish, he's trying to teach Katniss Everdeen how to play the game. And she comes to the realization that it's actually not about skill. It's about having people like you. And I want you to think about how the culture paints it today, how you need followers, you need subscribers, you need likes to be successful in your business. And that means that you would have to water down truth to not offend them. Check out this clip from The Hunger Games. You really want to know how to stay alive? You get people to like you. Oh, not what you were expecting. 
When you're in the middle of the games and you're starving or freezing, some water, a knife, or even some matches can mean the difference between life and death. And those things only come from sponsors. And to get sponsors, you have to make people like you. And right now, sweetheart, you're not off to a real good start. Better keep this knife. He knows what he's doing. Eerie relationship to today. You know, it's interesting that even Jesus prophesied this. He said in Luke 21, 17, you'll be hated by everyone because of my name. Because of what you have to defend and stand for, you'll be hated by people. But he gives us the boldness and the Holy Spirit, the power to proclaim truth in love. So what do we do? I have just two points for you. How do we navigate this culture that says to disagree is to hate, but we also have to speak truth in love? How do we do it? Number one, understand you are not defending your opinion. You are defending truth. You're not defending your opinion or your preference, even just what you believe. You are defending the truth of the Bible. And when God says something is wrong or a sin, it's not you saying it. It's Jesus Christ himself in this book. You're not defending your opinion. You're defending truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when someone asks why you think something is wrong, why do you think lying is wrong, or why do you think this is wrong, you say, it's not a matter of what I think. It's a matter of what the Bible says. I believe Jesus Christ is real, existed, and rose from the dead, and his words are truth and life. Those are the rules that I'm living by. That's where I get my morality. Now, some of you may know the name the late Billy Graham. Billy Graham is known for these huge convention centers that he would preach to. His crusades, he, where thousands would give their life to Christ. But Billy Graham was also such a good communicator, even one-on-one, -on -one, even in an interview. In 1969, Billy Graham went on the Woody Allen Show. And if you don't know what that would have been like, it would be like going on the Ellen Show today or on The View, the literal hornet's nest, if you know what I mean. But Billy Graham suggested himself to going on this interview and even took questions from the audience that questions his belief. And I want you to see how with such love, with such care, such humility and grace, Billy Graham can defend truth in love. Check it out. Graham, I read that you don't believe in premarital sex relations. Is this true? Uh, it's not a matter of what I believe. It's uh, what the Bible teaches. And the Bible teaches that premarital sex relations are wrong. Yeah, that's funny. To, to me, that would be like, uh, you know, like driving a car, you know, getting a driver's license without a learner's permit first. Well, well, well let, let's, uh, let's just, uh, let's just uh, see. Now, you know, we have to have rules to live by. And uh, what we're saying is we're going to play a baseball game without any rules. We're going to play a football game without any rules. We're going to live a life without any moral rules. Well, God has laid down certain rules and said, if you want the best of life and you want complete happiness and fulfillment, live by these rules. And one of those rules is that thou shalt not commit immorality. Ah, but wait a minute. But if you're, say you're dating a girl, right? Well, I, uh, I don't intend to date anyone. No, no, but I mean. <laughs> He's so good. He's so good in that situation. But did you see, he didn't back down from biblical truth. He said this is wrong. But he does it with such grace, such humility, and even humor. That is the example that we need to strive to do. 
Speaking truth in love. So number one, understand you're not defending your opinion. You're defending truth. And number two, we need to understand that if we truly care about and love someone, we tell them the truth even when it's difficult. The world says to hide the truth or let someone's truth be their own so you don't offend them. But we know that if we truly care and love someone, we have to speak the truth. Just imagine if you had a very close friend or even a family member, and maybe they are drinking themselves to death. They are on this road. It will lead to an early death. They are hurting themselves and their family. What is the more loving thing to do? To say, well, that's what makes them feel good. I want to affirm what they're doing. That's their truth. They should go and do it. Or is the more loving thing to say, no, let me help you get this under control. Let me help you stop so you don't hurt yourself and hurt your family. What's the more loving thing to do? Or if you see a friend of yours who is entertaining a relationship at work outside of his marriage, and you see that relationship going a little too far, and you know he has a wife and kids at home, what is the more loving thing to say? To say, no, I want to affirm what you're doing. Your feelings are guiding you, and you should just go for it. Or is a loving thing to say, no, you need to stop where you are, stop entertaining that before you hurt yourself and you hurt your family. What is the more loving thing to do? So I want to go to a story in the Old Testament that I believe illustrates all of this so clearly. If you would turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22, it's a beautiful story that illustrates everything that we just talked about. And I know some of you are like, you're going to the Old Testament now? We're like 15 minutes in. No, no, it's going to be great. It's a great illustration. 1 Kings 22, starting with verse 4. There's two kings, King Jehoshaphat, King Ahab. King Ahab wants to go to war and take over this land, but he needs help. So he's asking King Jehoshaphat to come and aid him, and they both go to war together. And here's what happens. Starting with verse 4, it says, So Ahab asked Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people is your people, my horses is your horses. But Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, First, please ask what the Lord's will is. And there's a whole sermon right there. How often do we need to say, let's hold up, find out what the Lord's will is first. So the king of Israel gathered the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, should I go to Ramoth Gilead for war or should I refrain? And they replied, march up, the Lord will hand it over to your king. Go for it. But Jehoshaphat asked, isn't there a prophet of Yahweh here anymore? Let's ask him. So what's happening? King Ahab is trying to convince Jehoshaphat to go to war with him. So King Ahab gets 400 of his followers. These 400 people are liking, commenting, and subscribing on everything. They're going to affirm everything that he wants to do. So King Ahab says, what do you 400 guys say? And they're like, yay, go for it. And Jehoshaphat, one of the funniest names in the Bible I know, he's like, I see your 400 people. That's great. But what does God say? I need to hear the truth. I don't want to hear just something that's going to be pleasing. I need to hear what is going to happen. I'm putting my army on the line. I'm putting my people on the line. I don't want to hear just this 400 people that just like you. I need to hear the truth. What is going to happen? So what happens next? 1 Kings 22, now in verse 8. The king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, he had, there's still one man who can ask Yahweh, but I hate him because he never prophesies good about me. Only disaster. He is Micaiah, son of Imla. The king shouldn't say that, Jehoshaphat replied. 
So the king of Israel called an officer and said, hurry and get Micaiah, son of Imla. I think this is hilarious. King Ahab is like, yeah, there's this one guy. I hate that guy. He's always being negative. He's always telling me what not to do. He's always telling me what's wrong. He's always telling me what's bad. Just forget about him. But Jehoshaphat is wise. He says, no, I need to hear the truth. Go get him. So in verse 13, a messenger goes. It says, the messenger who went to Micaiah instructed him, look, this is the messenger now talking to this prophet Micaiah. He says, look, the words of the prophets are unanimously favorable to the king. So let your words be like theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, I will say whatever the Lord says to me. What just happened? This messenger goes to the prophet Micaiah. He's like, bro, listen. There's these 400 guys. They all agree. It's unanimous. Just fall in line. Don't rock the boat. Just say what they say. Whatever the Lord says, yeah, just keep it to yourself. Can you just agree so you don't rock the boat and we can just get on with it? Just relax, Micaiah. So Micaiah goes before the king. And he gets into this room and there's these two kings over here and there's 400 prophets over here and they're all unanimous. And what does Micaiah do? Verse 15 says, so he went to the king, and the king asked him, Micaiah, should we go to Ramoth-Gilead for war, or should we refrain? Micaiah told him, march up and succeed. Yahweh will hand it over to the king. He folded. He folded like a cheap lawn chair. He didn't speak the truth. But Jehoshaphat didn't want him to just agree with the crowd. He wanted the truth. So Jehoshaphat says to him, how many times must I make you swear not to tell me anything but the truth in the name of Yahweh? King Jehoshaphat is wise to it. He says, don't sugarcoat it. I need the truth. So Micaiah gets boldness, and he says, I saw all Israel scattered on hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let everyone return home in peace. So the king of Israel, King Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you? He never prophesied anything good. Didn't I tell you he was going to do this? Only disaster. I told you Micaiah was a hater. He just proved it. But Micaiah goes on with boldness. You see, the Lord has put a lying spirit into the mouth of all these prophets of yours. And the Lord has pronounced disaster against you. Then Zedekiah, son of Chenea, came up. He hit Micaiah in the face and demanded, did the spirit of the Lord leave me to speak to you? That thing would have been on YouTube tomorrow. This is a scene. Micaiah replied, you will soon see when you go to hide yourself in an inner chamber on that day. So then the king of Israel, Ahab, ordered, take Micaiah, return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says, put this guy in prison, feed him only bread and water until I come back safely. They didn't want to hear the truth. And let me warn you right here. When we start seeking our own desires more than Jesus we will start hating the truth. When we are so surrounded by culture and when we consume so much of what the world is trying to tell us, we will begin to hate the truth. We don't want to hear the truth. We will push it away. We will put it in a corner. We will deny it. We will try to justify it. We'll even send it to prison because it makes us feel convicted or whatever it may be. We just don't want to hear it. So Micaiah goes to jail, and what happens? The king's going to battle. They say, well, that one guy was saying it would be disaster, but we have 400, so let's go. 
So what happens? They go into battle in verse 30. But the king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. He's not real confident. He's like, I'm going to disguise myself. You go on ahead, Jehoshaphat. I don't know how he convinced him to do it. But he said, you go ahead. You wear your royal attire. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. But a man drew his bow without taking special aim and struck the king of Israel through the joints of his armor. So he said to his charioteer, turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am badly wounded. And the battle raged throughout the day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans, and he died that evening. And blood from his wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. Disaster. So let me ask you, was Micaiah a hater? Was he a hater because he was speaking disaster? No, he was speaking truth. And if King Ahab would have listened to the truth, he might have been spared. His life might have been spared. The truth needs to be larger than the likes in our lives. We need to stand for it, proclaim it in love, and never back down from it, and even receive it from others when it hurts. Miss Hope is going to bring out a truth for me. We talked about this one earlier. Everybody give Miss Hope a hand. She's awesome backstage. <laughs> Listen, this... This is either true for all of us or true for none of us. There's no way that this can be true for me and not for you. And no matter what you do to the truth, you can hate it, you can despise it, you can not want to hear it, you not want to listen to it, you could try to get in front of it and you could try to just tell everybody it's somewhere else, you can even try to scribble on it and get real mad at it and try to cover it up, but it doesn't go away. The truth stands alone. The truth doesn't change. The Bible even says the truth will set you free if you will receive it. Thank you, Ms. Hope. <laughs> Standing for truth may cost you friends. It may mean having difficult conversations. It may mean you lose followers and subscribers. But the truth has to be larger than the likes. I want to end with this illustration. The disciple Peter and the person of Jesus. The disciple Peter knew exactly who Jesus was. They stood at Caesarea Philippi. We stood there actually in Israel just a couple years ago. And as they were standing there, Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you have spoken correctly. You know who I am. And on this rock, I will build my church. Peter knew the truth. But what happened when the rubber met the road? As Jesus was being sentenced in a trial to be crucified, Peter was confronted with a crowd. And what did he do? John chapter 18 and verse 17 it says, a slave girl who was a doorkeeper said to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. He denied Jesus once. Then again in verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. And they said to him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it a second time and said, I am not. Then one of the high priest slaves, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, didn't I see you with Jesus in the garden? And Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Peter was saving his own skin. He didn't want this crowd to turn on him, and so he chose not to stand for truth. But our example is Jesus Christ. And Jesus had many opportunities to not have to go to the cross, but he chose to do it for you and for me. In John 18, verse 4, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, all the torture, the crucifixion, the death, knowing everything that was about to happen, he went out and said to them, the men who are about to arrest him, who is it you're looking for? 
Jesus the Nazarene, they answered. I am he, Jesus told them. And even Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Jesus didn't back down. Even as they were about to arrest him, he said, I am he, Jesus the Christ. And then Jesus goes before the high priest Annas. And the high priest says, did you proclaim to be God in the synagogue? Were you blaspheming? Jesus said, I am he. I am the Christ. It is as you say. And then finally, Jesus stands in front of Pontius Pilate, the man who would eventually sentence him to be crucified. And even Pilate gives him a chance to deny it. In John 18, 37, it says, you are a king then? Pilate asked. Jesus said, you say that I'm a king. And Jesus replied, I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then it's so interesting. Pilate asks, what is truth, and walks away. What a shame that the spirit of truth, the way, the truth, and the life was standing right in front of Pontius Pilate, but he didn't wait around to hear for an answer. He asked the question, but didn't wait. Sometimes the truth can hurt. Sometimes the truth makes us change our lifestyle. Sometimes the truth makes us have to tell others the truth. The Great Commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel, preach the truth. But here's the beautiful thing about the truth. John 8, 31 says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word or my teaching or my message, you really are my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The world and culture says just follow your feelings, do what feels good, and that can be your truth. But what they don't tell you is following that line will lead you into bondage and despair. Jesus says you will have to sacrifice things to follow me, but this truth will set you free. You will not be a prisoner any longer. You will not be a prisoner to sin and death. He died for you, and now it's just on you to receive it and be forgiven. And so if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me, we never want an opportunity to go by without giving you a chance to give your life to Christ. I believe the spirit of truth is here at our campuses, watching online, ministering to those in these rooms. And now if you believe in your heart and say, I need to respond, I want to give my life to Christ, I am ready. We're gonna pray a simple prayer and everyone in the room is gonna repeat it so you don't feel alone. And no one's looking around, heads bowed and eyes are closed. And we want you to pray this prayer. And there's nothing special about the prayer. It's the posture of your heart, seeking the Lord. If you would all repeat after me, dear Jesus, I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose again. Forgive me of my sins. Teach me to follow you. Now, with no one looking around, head bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that today at any of our campuses, saying, I'm giving my life to Jesus today, we're going to ask that you raise your hand on the count of three. No one's looking around. This is between you and God. We want to celebrate with you. No one looking around. If that was you, raise your hand. One, two, three. Say, I'm giving my life to Christ today. Wow, wow, wow. Keep the hands up. No one's looking around. No one's looking around. Keep the hands up high. We just want to give you a card so we can connect with you and walk you through those next steps of following Christ. We're just going to give it a few more moments. So many hands. Amen. Would you look up here, and would you celebrate like crazy because there were so many hands 
giving their life to Christ. Wow, it's incredible. If you would stand with me. The worship team is gonna sing a brief chorus, but this is your time to respond. If you raised your hand for salvation, we wanna connect with you because we don't wanna leave you out there alone. Because as you leave these doors, you are facing the world out there and we wanna join with you and help you in your walk with Jesus Christ. So if you raised your hand while they sing, we would love for you to come forward and get with a prayer partner. And if you need prayer for anything, if you've been saved, just saved, if you need prayer for anything, we have prayer partners up here that would love to pray with you and agree with you. And so as they begin to sing, you can do that now.